Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself unprepared for something important? It's not a good feeling. Uh, When I started thinking about that, the things that came to my mind were marriage and children, right? Yeah, sure. Because, you know, you can... You can read the books, and you ought to read the books, and you can do the pre-marriage counseling, and you should absolutely do the pre-marriage counseling. But it's like once you say I do, and, you know, the party's over, and it's like, okay, we are in this now. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'm, I don't know that I'm prepared for this. But, but it's, I think it's even more so when you become a parent, right? I mean, I, I remember that moment when our, our, our oldest Ben when we were leaving the hospital, right, and, and, and they checked the car seat, and then they're like, we'll put him in the car seat, and they're doing all their liability stuff, which is fine, and then they give you the baby, and it's like, I have to now go home. It's like, wait, is that it? Like, I'm, and it's like, you, you're on your, I never drove more carefully in my life than driving Ben home from, Luke, I was a maniac. It didn't even matter. I was just all over the place. But uh, yeah, it's like, you know, you, you can read all the books, but once you're in it, you are in it. You know, and it's like, I am, you know, that third night at three in the morning and you haven't slept for 72 hours and it's like, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm not prepared for this. But that's not really what I'm thinking of because those are the kinds of things that it's like, you know, there are some things that are just hard, they're difficult to prepare for, right? And there's some things that it's like, you know, you can't really... You can do what you can ahead of time, but once you're in it, you're in it, and that's really when you're, you're learning. You know what I mean? So maybe I ought to ask the question different. So here's a different way. Have you ever found yourself unprepared for something important that you should have been prepared for? Sure. Like you're at the closing for the new house, and you don't have the loan documents squared away? Or you get pulled over, right, and you don't have your driver's license? or your registration, or any proof of insurance. Like, this is, this, is not, this is not good. This is a bad day. Should have been prepared. Uh, for me, what, what that reminded me of was this time when I was in high school, standing up in front of uh, my English class to give a book report on a book that I did not read. That is a precarious place to be, you know, and so it's like, oh, it was just, the characters were just, you know, amazing, and the plot structure, I'm sure it had one, I assume, I didn't read the book, you know, it was awful, and in your mind, I don't know if you've ever, look, I'm not the only one who's been there, okay, I know that I'm not the only one, but, but in the moment, you're kind of trying to go through this thing, and you think in your head that you're just nailing it, you know what I mean, I am crushing this thing, but in reality, you have not fooled anyone, you know what I mean? Especially the teacher who, in my case, was just being kind, you know, and not calling me out in front of everybody, which probably should have. Um, but it is, it, is a, it is an awful feeling to find yourself unprepared for something important that you should have been prepared for, right? That you could have been prepared for. That's a bad spot to be. And that's what we're going to talk about this this morning. Well, we're going to talk about two ideas. So one idea is that. The other idea is uh, for the past, this year, as a church, we have been talking about the idea of neighboring, 
right? Early in January, Pastor Mark and I taught a series on the idea of neighboring. And it's the, the idea is this. What if when Jesus said to love your neighbor, you know, he meant your real neighbors. Like he meant like the guy across the street, the lady next door, you know, and certainly Jesus meant more than, than just the people who live next and across to you. But he certainly meant at least that you know, when he said, love your neighbors. And so, and so we, we've been challenging ourselves is what would it look like for us to really be intentional about loving our neighbors well? And so we've been all challenging ourselves with two big ideas that one, that we would all make the commitment to learn and use the names of our eight closest neighbors. And two, that we would begin to pray for them, asking God to show us what's next in terms of loving them, well, the idea is that we could set the bar so low that you couldn't, you know, nobody could slip under it. That was kind of the idea. And so we're, we're talking about these two ideas. Um, and, and, and I want to make the case this morning that these two ideas are connected. Because for all of us, we all have important days ahead of us in the future, right? Some of them... Some of them you can't really prepare for, right? Some important days, they're coming in front of you and they're just going to show up and when you're in it, you're going to be in it, right? But other days, there are other days that you can prepare for. And I want to argue that if you're a Jesus follower, we all have a day coming in front of us that might be our most important day. And this is a day that you can prepare for. And you should prepare for. And how do you prepare, if you're a Jesus follower, how do you prepare for your most important day? I think you prepare by neighboring. And if that statement sounded surprising to you, that just means you're paying attention. Because when you hear those things, it doesn't sound like, well, how would that really go together? But that's what I want to spend the morning making the case for. That the, for, for, for the Jesus follower, the way that we prepare for what might be our most important day is to neighbor. So I want to make that case by looking at something that the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul, uh, in something that he wrote to Christians living in the uh, first century city of Corinth. And uh, it's, we're going to find it in 2 Corinthians. And this is a fascinating letter. If you are interested in doing a deep dive in 2 Corinthians, Pastor Mark actually did a teaching series on 2 Corinthians a year or two ago. I don't, I don't remember exactly. Uh, but you can go on the website, noel.org slash sermons, and you can find that series and do a deep dive into 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at something specific that the Apostle Paul said that speaks to this issue. So if you would, turn in your New Testaments to the letter of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. And that's going to be page 1228 in your seatback Bible if you are following along with us. Now, um, the challenge, the ch- the, honestly, the challenge which te- with teaching through 2 Corinthians or talking about something specific in 2 Corinthians, and Elijah and I were talking about it this week, is, is that Paul, throughout the whole letter, he is making some big points that are connected to one another. So it's almost like no matter where you jump in, it feels like you're jumping in mid-thought because, because you kind of are. So I want to give you just a little bit of background to what he was just saying, and that will help inform what we're going to look at when we jump right in. And so uh, Paul, in the first part of chapter 5, is, he's really talking about the hope 
that the believer has in eternity, that one day our mortal life will end, and if we've put our trust in Christ, we are going to be reunited with Jesus, and it is going to be amazing. That is our best day. Um, when we're going to be reconnected with Jesus. And, and because there is a future day coming for the Jesus follower where we are going to be reconnected with Jesus, that should inform the way that we live today. So that future day should inform how we live every day. And so, so that's kind of what he was talking about. And we're going to dive in and we're going to look at verse verse 8. Okay, this, this idea that eternity gives us hope. So here's what he says. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 8, he says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Again, he's talking about that idea of eternity. There's a future day that is coming for us, and it is a better day. We'd rather be there than here. Okay? Verse 9. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And so Paul is Paul's given this idea that the, the, in light of eternity, in light of the fact that for the Jesus follower, there's a better day coming. There's a day where we're going to be reunited with our Savior. That should inform how we live all of our days. Whether I'm here on this earth or I'm with Jesus, wherever I find myself, I want to make it my aim. I want to make it the thing, the, the, the idea, the, the North Star, the thing I'm pointing my life at is to please him. That, that, that's, that's what he's saying, right? You know, um, let me read it. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now, so for me, the natural question is, well, why? Why is that your aim to please? Why, why is it your aim to please him, whether you're here or there? Well, he tells us in the next verse. So let's look at verse 11, or verse 10, excuse me. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here's the idea. Whether I'm here or there, wherever I find myself, I make it my aim to please him because I understand that I am accountable to him for how I've lived my life. Now, I got to say something about this idea of judgment. Because in this passage, Paul is talking to Christians He's talking to people who have crossed the line of faith, who have made the decision to follow Jesus, whose sin has been forgiven, and they have new life in Jesus. This, he is not describing a judgment over sin for the purpose of punishment. That's not what this is. This is referred to as the Bema Seat of Christ. This is the judgment that believers will experience for the purpose of reward. This is not a bad day. This is not a day to dread. This is a day to celebrate. This is a day where we will be united with Jesus. And Jesus will like, let's, let's, let's look at your life. And let's look at all of the places where I used you to make a difference. And let's celebrate those things. This is your Savior wanting to reward you for your faithfulness. This is a great day. But this is a day that we should be prepared for. This should be a day, because this is a day where we're going to ask the question, who did I live my life for? Right? If I'm a Jesus follower, was my life mainly about me? Or did I live for the one that I am ultimately accountable to? So if that's true, right? If, if, 
if, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're going after him, and there is, there is a day in your future, right, where we're going to be reunited with him, and we're going to look at our lives and say, well, who did we live this thing for? If that day is coming, right, how do you prepare for that day? Right? That's the, that's the question. What do you do to make sure that when that day comes, you're ready for it? Well, let's look at how Paul prepared for it. So let's look at verse 11. Next verse. Therefore. So this is connected to what we've just read. In light of what, in light of what we just said. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Now, hang on a real second. Let's talk about the fear of the Lord for a second. This is not the idea of being afraid or cowering or I'm scared. God's going to get me. No, no, no. This is the idea of healthy respect. So another way to say it is, in light of the fact that that day is coming, and I take it seriously, right? In light of that, in light of the fear of the Lord, there's this day coming where I'm going to be with the one I'm ultimately accountable to. And I take that day seriously. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's how Paul chose to prepare for this day. Knowing that he's, think about this. This is is a big idea. Knowing that the idea of eternity is real, right? And heaven is our home. And there is a day coming where we're going to be reunited with Jesus. And every believer is going to, to stand before God and give an account for the way that we lived our lives. Paul said, knowing that all of that is true, the best way that I can think to prepare for that day is to persuade others. Now, why would he, why would he say that? I think... The reason that Paul, I think, I think the reason Paul chose that, he could have put anything in that box. You think about all the things that Christians spend their time doing, right, that could have gone in that box. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we live a holy life. We have perfect church attendance. We give a lot of money. We stand up for the truth. We do, you know, all, you know, all of these things, right, that you could put in that box. And what Paul chose to put in that box is we persuade others. And I think the reason Paul put that in the box is because he understood what mattered most to the one he was accountable to. And this is, this is the big idea. There, there's a bunch of us here at Knollwood who have been reading through the scriptures this year. It's called The Grand Narrative. And it's fantastic. If you've never done it, you've got to do it. Um, and, and, and we go through the whole Bible in, I don't know, 18, 19 weeks, something like that. Um, and as, as you're reading the scriptures at that pace and looking at the big story at that level, it just becomes strikingly obvious that the big theme, the grand narrative, the whole point of the story of scripture is that our relationship with God is broken because of our sin. And God stepped into the mess. God stepped into the darkness God waded into all of it so that he could rescue us. That's what matters to God. That's the very reason that Jesus said he came to earth. Jesus said in Mark 10, right? The son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus, why are you here? Uh, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you why I'm here. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came. The thing that matters to God is rescuing people who are lost. And if that's not enough, think about this. When Jesus left, that's the very thing he asked us to do. The end of the Gospel of Matthew in 28, Jesus is risen from the dead. He's got his guys all around him. They're up on a mountain, and he's about to leave. And he makes this statement, which if you've read it a bunch of times, you just gloss right over it. We lose the bigness of it. But Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a big statement. All of it? All of it. And the point is, Jesus Jesus saying, the point is, I want you to know, I want you to understand that I have every right to tell you what I'm about to tell you. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I would like to leverage that authority, okay? Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And know this, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Men and women who are far from God, being reunited, being brought back into a relationship with God, matters to God. Maybe more than anything, I don't know. But it matters so much to God. And Paul understood that. That when he, when he worked it out in his head, that there's a day coming where I am going to give an account to my Savior for how I lived my life. The way he chose to prepare for that day is to say, I'm going to do the thing that matters to my Savior. So therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. How do you prepare for what might be the most important day of your life? I think you neighbor. But we'll come back to that in a second. I want to read one more passage to you. I want to drop down to verse 17. Uh, this, is, this passage is just beautiful, and it's, maybe you've read it before. Maybe someone has shared this passage with you. Um, when may, Maybe there was a time in your life when you felt shame because of your past, and you thought, you know, given where I've been, there's no way. How could God even love me? And someone shared this verse with you, or you thought, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to move past this. And someone shared this verse with you, and it's encouraging. And in a lot of ways, it is the very heart of the gospel. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that great? Because of Jesus, your past does not have to define your future. Verse 18. All this is a gift from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and, look at this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul's just putting his finger on this idea. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, and this is such a big idea, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us. Can you imagine any, just what a greater honor 
that God, it's like God would make his appeal to men and women through you. That is so big. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's the point. If you're a Jesus follower, your salvation, right? God saving you, God rescuing you, is tied to your calling. You have, God, God didn't save you because of good works or, for, or, 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 or in light of good works or things like that. God didn't save you because of good works, but he absolutely saved you for good works. Part of the reason that God rescued you is because he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. But part of the reason is because he wants to use you. He, the God who saved you invites you to play a role, to play a part in his work to rescue others. Isn't that good news? You think about this. God didn't just save you for you. He saved you with a purpose. Your life matters. And God wants to use you to make a difference in the lives of other people. That's amazing. So what does that look like? And how do you do that? Well, I thought what we'd do is I thought maybe it would be helpful to hear from some folks who are wrestling with that question, okay? Um, uh, Jared and Christina Ledbetter are a part of our congregation. If you don't know them, you should get to know them. They are the best. And we started talking about this idea in January, and th the two of them as a family, they've been wrestling with what that looks like for them. And so I've invited uh, Jared and Christina to come up and just talk to us briefly about what that's been like. So would you welcome Jared and Christina Ledbetter? Thanks, guys. So what does that mean for you? Or maybe the better question is, what does it look like for you to find your place in the mission of Jesus? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. What is, what, should you throw a Super Bowl party? I, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. There's no way to know. Here's why. Given your unique personality, your gifts, your talents, abilities, your past experiences, your age and stage of life, I have no idea what it looks like for you to find your place in Jesus' mission. That's something that you need to figure out. But maybe, maybe you could begin where we all can begin. By learning and using the names of your eight closest neighbors and praying for them, asking God to show you what's next. God, I pray for my neighbors. I, th this one is experiencing that, and we're celebrating this over here, and I'm so grateful that you've placed me in, in this community with these people, and would you show me what it looks like to love them well? And God, would you be at work in their lives, pointing them toward your love, pointing them toward the message of Jesus? And God, if you're up for it, 
I would love to get to be a part of that somehow. I don't know what that means. Pastor Chris doesn't know what that means. I don't know what that guy knows. But do you know? Would you be willing to show me? Can you imagine what could happen if just, if, if the people in this room, if we just decided that we were going to begin to pray for our neighbors like that? What could happen? Like, like, like just in six months, in a year, what kind of celebrations would we be having as we think about all of the things that God did through all of us? It's amazing, right? But it's scary. And it's intimidating. And there's uncertainty there, right? So what do you do with that? There's this movie called, uh, it's called We Bought a Zoo. Maybe it's exactly what you think it's about. The title gives it all away. It's, uh, it's, with, um, it's with Matt Damon and uh, Scarlett Johansson. And um, there's this scene in the movie. It's a great scene. There's this scene in the movie where Matt Damon's character is having a conversation with his teenage son, right? And his son, he has a crush on this girl, but he does not know what to do. He's, you know, he's basically saying to his dad, I don't, I just, you know what, I just don't want to look foolish. And I feel like if, I'm, if I stay quiet, I, I look silly. And if I talk, I might say the wrong thing. And it's like, I don't know what to do. And the dad says to him, it's, just, it's the best line. And he says to him, and this was a theme that was kind of running through the movie. And he, sa- he's, he says to his son, he looks at him, he says, son, sometimes, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane, ridiculous, embarrassing courage. And I promise you, something amazing will happen. It's such a great line in a movie. It's such a... I wonder, what would happen if this week you said, God, I would be willing, I would be willing to give you 20 seconds of insane courage. What could God do with that? There's only one way to find out. Let's pray. God, you're so good. And thank you so much. Thank you that you loved us enough to send your son and to rescue us from our sin and to give us new life in Christ and that, that, that we have hope, we have a future, that one day we are going to be united with you in eternity forever. That is incredible. But if that weren't enough, God, and that is enough, but even more than that, you invite us. You invite us into what you're doing in the world to rescue others, to introduce others to your love. So Jesus Would you help each one of us make the choice to find our place in your mission of rescuing the world? 
Would you help each one of us figure out what that means, what that looks like, given our unique personalities and temper, te- uh, temperance and life experience and all of those things? Lord, all those things that are, that are unique about us, given all of that, help us figure out what it looks like for us to embrace your mission to rescue the world. And would you give would you just stir in us the desire? May, what, what could happen, Lord, if we were just willing to give you 20 seconds of insane courage this week? We're so excited to see what you would do with it. So thank you, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.